Welcome to the sermon podcast of Redemption Church. The following sermon is by our longtime friend and member, Scotty Miser. All right, so we're actually going to start with the last verse of chapter one, and then I'll read chapter two. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, in my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas, and the currents swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains, I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. But you, Lord, my God, brought my life up from the pit. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. I will say, salvation comes from the Lord. And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Uh, thank you, Kat. It's not often that you get to see the word vomit in the scripture reading for the, for the week. When Gary told me which chapter of Jonah I would be preaching, I was delighted that it was this one. I was secretly hoping it would be this one. Because um, this, is, this is where the Jonah thing happens. This is the part of Jonah where he's actually inside the fish. If you know nothing else about the story of Jonah, you probably know that. If you grew up like me, reading the Bible a lot, for whatever reason, this was a story that Bible teachers would talk a lot about the importance that this actually happened. So I want to get that question out of the way right away. If you go to the next slide, Jonah, did this happen? Well, gang, I have the same book you do. I don't really know. <laughs> I wasn't there with a video recorder. Um, but I, I think that one thing that one thing that helped me was to consider sort of the, the literal versus the narrative moral of this story. Okay, so let's say that it did happen. Let's say that it happened, that God sustained the life of a man inside a fish. You are not going to catch me saying that God couldn't do that. Absolutely he could. What's the moral of that? The literal moral of Jonah is... God can sustain a person inside a fish. Cool. Like, I don't know about y'all, but I, I kind of knew that. I knew that. I believe that already, that God could do whatever God wants to do. But the narrative message of Jonah, the message of the story of Jonah seems to be that God 
can deliver a person from death. And that to me is probably something I need reminded of more than the fact that God can sustain a person inside a fish. So I'll offer this to you. You can take Jonah literally. You must take Jonah metaphorically. You can take Jonah literally. I'm not gonna take that away from you, but we must take it narratively. Um, I was actually thinking of a theme song from a really goofy show from the 90s. This shouldn't, this, yeah, this looks like the kind of show I would watch, if you know me. Um, <laughs> this is from Mystery Science Theater 3000. I won't say too much about this show, except that the entire premise of it is that a man gets launched into space and is forced to watch terrible movies. Again, sounds like something I would like because it is. Um, but there's something they repeated every episode in the theme song that I thought of when I was studying this chapter of Jonah. The theme song ended with this phrase. If you're wondering how he eats and breathes and other science facts, just repeat to yourself, it's just a show. I should really just relax. So I offer that to you this Sunday. If you're wondering how Jonah eats and breathes, and other science facts, just relax. The story doesn't answer that, and it's not meant to. If you get nothing else from this story, if you get nothing else from this word, God's love lifts us up from the depths. God's love lifts us up. Amen? God's love lifts us up. So the first point I want to make um, on the next slide is that God's love comes down in order to lift us up. If you were with us last Sunday, Gary set up very beautifully that the, the whole narrative of Jonah can really be studied through a series of ups and downs. Jonah is called up, but Jonah always wants to go down. God says, get up, go to Nineveh, but Jonah goes down to Tarshish. Jonah goes down to the lower deck of the ship, and the pagan sailors are shouting to him, get up! And in what is probably one of the more hilarious things to ever happen in a prophetic book, they ask the prophet of God, do you know what is happening here? And Jonah says, yes, I do. I serve the God of the land and the sea. And rather than offer to do anything about that, Jonah says, you should probably throw me overboard. You should probably kill me. Jonah is so willing to leave God's calling that he would literally rather die than get up and follow the path of God's love. So in this attempted suicide, the sailors throw him over after much protesting, and Jonah continues to go down. He goes down and down. As far as any person in science or in myth can really go. 
This is kind of my general understanding of the book of Jonah. If I were to just crack it open and you were to ask me like, hey, how, does, how did this seem to happen? I grew up kind of thinking this happened. Jonah thrown into the water, pretty much straight into the mouth of a whale or a big fish, other science facts, just relax. In the belly of a whale, the whale does a couple laps, waits for Jonah to get his act together, and then spits him out onto dry land. Jonah's prayer, however, references a journey. It references a whole thing that we didn't get to see, but apparently a whole journey that happens before the fish even shows up. So at the end of chapter one, we hear, now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. I'm going to talk a little bit about the sea. And as an English major, this really excites me. So if I get talking too much about the sea, James, would you like wave your hand in the air and say, Scotty, stop talking about the sea? Okay. (laughs) Highly particular preacher problems. Um, The sea to the ancient readers, what would that resemble? Well, the sea was a strange place to the ancients. There weren't cameras, there weren't submarines. The sea was this place of mystery where the natural world and the supernatural co-mingled in the ancient imagination. They were the place where the natural and the supernatural met. It's kind of a lot, it's a, it's a lot about how the ancients would think about the sky right? Like, we don't really know what's up there. We don't really know what's down there. So there were all these kinds of stories and myths about what went on in the depths, what was really going on down there. And in a culture of oral storytelling, certain phrases would trigger certain stories in the minds of the listeners. What I mean is this. So if I start a story with the phrase, a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. You guys are immediately thinking of a certain type of story. Yeah? Thank you. Yes, it is absolutely Star Wars. You make an association to a certain story. That phrase informs your interpretation of what I'm about to tell you. It adds a flavor to whatever my story is that wasn't there before. In the mind of the ancient reader, three days and three nights, when associated with the sea, was that kind of phrase. It comes from another story about the sea. You're going to learn a little bit about Sumerian myth tonight. Not too much, I promise. Uh, We go to the next slide. Three days and three nights would remind the ancient readers of a certain story called the descent of Inanna to the netherworld or the underworld. Descent of Inanna to the underworld. It's complicated, but in it, this Mesopotamian goddess makes a journey to hell, basically, to the netherworld, the land of the dead. And because that always is a complicated idea, she gets killed by another goddess. It was a very famous story, and one of the biggest, most memorable lines in it is that after she was slain, 
She was so far down in the underworld, under the sea, that the message of her passing takes three days and three nights to reach the surface. This is a little bit more of the journey that Jonah 2 seems to be informing us of. It's not that Jonah jumps directly into the mouth of a whale and the whale is his punishment. Jonah jumps into the water and he goes down and down and down into the realm of the dead. And the fish, the fish is not his punishment. The fish is his salvation. The fish is his deliverance. Jonah himself, this isn't just a Sumerian myth thing. Jonah himself references uh, the journey in his prayer. If you go to the next slide. Jonah says, from deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help, the deepest possible imaginable place. To the roots of the mountains I sank down, the earth beneath barred me in forever. Well, what's, what's the earth beneath? A better translation of that is the underworld. It's the grave. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. That's also a translation that comes a little bit short. Uh, that word is actually for freshwater reeds, the same kind that the Israelites would have encountered in the reed sea, or what we often call the Red Sea this place of danger to the Israelite imagination. Jonah has visited death, not as a state of being, but as a physical location. That's how far down he's fallen from God's love and God's grace. Does that change the story for you? that God does not merely deliver Jonah to Nineveh kind of by his ear as a punishment, but that God delivers Jonah from death itself. I think it should change the story for us. And I think it should change how we view where God's love can and cannot reach. Jonah is heading down. If there was one place to get away from God, it would be in the deep. It would be in death. But as the scripture reading we read at the beginning of this service in our call to worship, if we make our bed in the depths, God is there. I want you to reflect for a minute. Where were you told was the place that love could no longer reach you. Where did you grow up believing was the place love could no longer reach you? Was it the place of addiction? Was it divorce? Was it the failure to land a good job? When you were younger, was it, was it the loss of your virginity? Where were you told God could no longer help you? Where were you told you would be irreparably damaged? I dabble in all that imagery and all that Sumerian myth to bring you this hope. 
that this story shows that God delivers us up from death itself, even when, and this is key, even when, like Jonah, it is our own stupid fault. God delivers us up from death. Amen? There is no depth God's love can't reach. God's love lifts us up. The second point I want to make is that God's deliverance comes in weird ways. Jonah doesn't get rescued by an angel. Jonah doesn't get rescued by some immaculate light. God's deliverance here is from God, but it's not beautiful per se. It's not sanitary. But nevertheless, it's Jonah's deliverance. It's his literal salvation. And there's themes here of rebirth. There's a very real sense in which this fish is the womb in which Jonah develops to become someone new before he's rebirthed as the person he needs to be on the shore of Assyria. There's a very real sense in which being inside this fish is shaping Jonah into the new person. And I think we all, when we look back on our lives, we can see times that did not seem divinely appointed, but with the benefit of hindsight, we can see shaped us into who we are for the better. I talk about this a lot, but it wasn't until I started doing um, open discussion groups with Philosophy, with Gary, that I realized how much my type one diabetes had shaped my theology. I realized how much diabetes had changed how I thought about God. And I think for the better, I think it changed where I believed God would go, not just in wellness, but in sickness. Now, I wouldn't recommend diabetes, right? <laughs> as a Bible study, as a, as a personal development plan, I wish I didn't have it. But did it change me for the better? Did it shape me into someone who more understands what God is doing in the world? Also, yes. Also, yes. So is the fish an angel? No. But I think it's also important that the fish is doing the work of God. And as Christians, we would do better if we looked not just at the hardships of life, but just at the world in general. And before we asked, where are the believers? Where are the Christians? We asked, where is God's work being accomplished? And how can I join? Like, it wouldn't be terribly out of character. Jonah really does not like pagans, as we'll discover later on in his prayer. But if the fish came to Jonah and Jonah just kind of asked him, wait, are you a Christian fish? Right? Like, if Jonah's standards were so high. But Jonah's being delivered. 
The fish is not a Christian fish, but the fish is doing the work of God. Don't get me wrong. I believe there is truly something beautiful about Christians, followers of Christ, coming together and doing God's work. But I think we also, we need to be willing to look around and see who else and what else is doing it. And we need to realize that God's love and deliverance is not something we keep to ourselves. It's something we're called to continue. And that's Jonah's calling, right? That's Jonah's whole thing. He's not just being saved for himself. He's being saved so he can save others. Jonah is being delivered so he can deliver the Ninevites from their destruction. And we find out in chapter four, that's the whole reason he doesn't want to go. He doesn't want to deliver the Ninevites from their destruction. He wants them to be destroyed. But God's not about to let that happen. God's going to yank this reluctant prophet from the pit of death itself if it means saving Nineveh. Here's my final major point. God uses us before we're ready. I talked about the fish as a womb in which Jonah is made into the person he needs to be. But is Jonah really made into a new person? Is he really ready? Is he who Nineveh needs? The prayer isn't really clear. There's parts of Jonah too that Jonah seems to get it. And there's other parts where he just really doesn't, where he seems on his same old nonsense. He seems on board with God's plan, which is the bare minimum at the end of this prayer. But has he learned his lesson? Or does he still want to keep God's forgiveness from Nineveh? Well, let's look at the evidence. So first of all, Jonah straight up lies to God. <laughs> he says, God, you hurled me into the depths. That's not true. Getting hurled into the depths was Jonah's idea. And even the pagan sailors didn't want to throw Jonah into the depths. That was Jonah's idea through and through. So right away, the politifact alarm is going to patently false, right? These other phrases though, which might at first glance seem like good things to say, I think are informing us that Jonah's not quite ready. In verse four, he talks about coming out of the depths and he says to God, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. And in verse eight, he goes so far as to say, those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them, but I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. Even in the belly of a fish, Jonah cannot resist dunking on the pagans. Even in the belly of a fish, who, by the way, who have we seen turn away from God's love? This whole story. It's Jonah. The prophet of God is the one we're watching turn away from God's love. The pagans are devout. The pagans have more respect and worship for Jonah's God than Jonah does. He's been brought to his lowest point. 
and he's seen pagan sailors more worshipful of his God than he is, but he still can't let go of this very people of God centric language, this very Israel first way of thinking. And he's not willing to admit that any of this is his fault. But you know what? I find encouragement in this because God still uses Jonah. God still uses this reluctant prophet to bring others to God. God will use Jonah despite it all. I really hope this resolves any personal doubts you guys have about am I a good enough vessel of God's good news? Am I a good enough person for others to learn about God through? I remember when I first started uh, teaching with with redemption um, as a young college student, I was super nervous and talking to Gary and got got like really in my head and like I don't I, I don't know if I'm if I'm ready. I don't know if I'm ready to lead a Bible study. Like is that a thing I should be worried about? And Gary told me, well, the answer to that will always be yes and always no. You will always be not quite ready enough to represent God. But if you haven't actively run to the other side of earth, you're doing better than Jonah. If you haven't actively rejected God's plan and tried to kill yourself by diving into the bottom of the sea and been literally knocking on death's door to avoid God's plan, you're doing better than Jonah. And God uses Jonah. God uses us before we're ready. God's love comes down and God's love lifts us up. Amen? It lifts us up. Here's the good news too, is that this is not just an exception. This is actually the way that God does business. God's love comes down, and we have no better picture of that than the cross. If you want evidence that God's love reaches to the deepest, darkest places, there is the cross. If you want evidence that God delivers in unlikely ways, what more unlikely a vessel of salvation? than a man being executed as a criminal. What stranger way for God to deliver us than not by crushing the evil empire like Jonah wants, but by allowing himself to be crushed by it. That's the method of God's salvation. Strange deliverance in the lowest of places. We're gonna end with a short meditation. Um, I want you to take these little tokens and I want you to put them in a place this week where you don't think about God being. Maybe it's your workplace, maybe it's the dashboard of your car. Just 
It can be a dark place, it can be a boring place. But I want you to take these as a reminder that God's love lifts us up from wherever we are. And as a reminder that wherever we are, not only are we being delivered, but we are God's method of deliverance. Not only are we the people God is rescuing, but we are God's method of rescue for others. I hope that in this strange story of ocean depths and fish bellies, you remember that God's love lifts us up. To find out more about Redemption Church, visit redemptionbristol.org.